Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Welcome. Welcome to Bethel Midweek. It's really good to have y'all here. My name is Bryson. Uh, I am one of the pastors here on staff, uh, and so I'm excited. We've been in this series called The Better Story, and so we've been talking for the last now, this is week four, um, uh, about this idea of telling the better story. And so we've talked about it as evangelism, like you've, you've heard that phrase, I'm sure, if you've been around the church or, you know, familiar with that at all. Evangelism is telling people about Jesus, but we're sort of wanting to frame it in this different way uh, because ultimately when we're talking about Jesus, we're inviting people into just that, a better story. And part of it comes down to uh, really what a story is. Every great story, any story at all, is the story of a, a problem being solved, Right? Any movie you ever watch, it establishes the equilibrium in the beginning. It shows you what normal is, and then, oh no, he needs to get the girl. Oh no, Frodo needs to take the ring to Mordor. Oh no, Luke needs to, you know, resolve his daddy issues. Whatever, like, it is, you have, like, the story, you know, in, in the, uh, the, the beginning, you have the conflict, and then the rest of the movie or book or story that you hear is the resolution to that conflict. If you don't have a conflict, it's a boring story. Right? It, nobody wants to watch, like, you know, just nothing. That's why we love the, the underdog tale where they, you know, win against all odds, all these things. And so ultimately, what Christianity is, is it's presenting a better story than the one that you are currently living because we all have a conflict in our lives, big, small, or in the middle that there's, there's a, a, a gap that we all experience. And so what we're doing when we're talking about Jesus, we're inviting people into a better story to realize that the solution to the, the conflict that they have internally is the cross of Jesus. And so this idea of the better story is just communicating that. We, we talk about evangelism as this thing, and we're having this training on the 8th, and you, you seriously should put it on your calendar. It's going to be fantastic, where we talk about some of those more uh, engaging you know, moments where you intentionally go out and, and do a tool that we use called the God test, or you go have uh, intentional conversations and things like that. But this idea of, of the better stories, what if it was a little bit bigger than that? What if evangelism wasn't just a, a solo moment where we put on our calendar and says, on Saturday morning, I'm going to go evangelize, and then I'm going to go grocery shopping, and then I'm going to go you know, to church on Sunday and to work on Monday. And it wasn't just an event, but what would it look like if we lived a better story and invited people into that better story? And so uh, we have, uh, when we plan out these series, we talk about what would be, you know, if it's a four-week series, what would be the four most important things to talk about in this sort of topic or idea or whatever kind of the, the big thought for, for the series is, and so the, the better story. Um, t tonight, you know, we talked about, just to kind of uh, go a, a little bit of a, an overview maybe, the first night uh, of the series, I spoke and I talked about evangelism, almost like the, the anatomy of evangelism, where we make it this, you know, let's go moment where I, I'm going to go out and do this thing. 
we feel like it's me talking to somebody else, it's the believer talking to the unbeliever, and I am going to convince them to follow Jesus, but uh, I used a little chicken scratch graphic uh, that I, I might come up, it's just a stick figure, uh, to sort of it show maybe, like we think that it's just us giving the external call, us saying, hey, here's the story of Jesus, and then the person turning, but it's not just us talking and them turning, but God has already done the choosing. God the Father has already done the choosing. Jesus has already done the saving, and the Holy Spirit is, is doing what we call convicting. He's moving inside of the heart of the unbeliever, that it's not a solo mission, that you're going to go out and be really good at convincing people to follow Jesus. So that's, that, was, that was week one, talking about almost the theology of evangelism. Week two, Erica Diggs uh, was sharing, and she was talking about uh, the power of your story and using your story uh, for the sake of communicating the gospel because somebody can have an argument about this or a debate about that, an apologetic, you know, or so. They might be able to pin you in an argument, but nobody can refute your story. It's, it's unique to you. And you can say, this, no, this really, really happened to me. So we talked about the importance of, uh, of your story and sharing that in, you know, inviting people into the better story. And then last week, I think Christian Rogers, I bragged on his message so many times. He did an incredible job last week. Christian Rogers talking about conversation. And he did a really good job of saying, what if we didn't imagine gospel conversations as a one-time event, but an ongoing conversation that we invite people in, uh, you know, and so he just had some really great things to say about that, which brings us here. So we're talking about the better story this week, and then next week we're going to get a little bit more apologetic-y, reason for faith-y, uh, but I, tonight, like, in, in sort of the, the part of the series, you remember when you, like, we had DVDs, like, back in the day, DVDs, you know, those existed, and now the DVD player is the thing that you have in your basement for the time that you're going to pick up that one DVD that you're too lazy to get on Amazon Prime, which is, it's like 17 bucks, I get it, I get it, so keep the DVD player, uh, maybe one day it'll be worth something but like you could get like the dvd and then on the opposite side of it sometimes there's like the extended cut or there's like the bonus features you have like the dvd and then over here you have the bonus features so tonight's a little bit of the bonus features so this is sort of like the director's cut of the the better story series because these are things that like might not have made it for a whole night but they were important enough to throw somewhere and so uh what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna do my best to preach five sermons in 35 minutes um, and so enjoy, sit back, relax, buckle up. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. That would be uh, awesome and, and very difficult. But what we're going to do is sort of kind of take some summations of some ideas, and it's going to have a chronological flow of thought. Uh, but what I'm going to entitle this message is five ways to tell the better story better. Five ways to tell the better story better. Because we hear a lot, you know, you might have heard the the kind of paragraph of the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God became man in Christ Jesus. He lived a life we should have lived. He died the death that we should have died in our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, offering salvation to all those who would repent and believe in him. And so you have that, and you think, man, as long as I have that memorized, but then, like, let's imagine it in real time, in real life scenario. You go, okay, here's, you know, Jimmy at work, and I want to preach the gospel to him. You don't go, hey, Jimmy, uh, I just have something I want to tell you real quick, and then you just spout it out. It doesn't happen like that. You could try. Maybe, I mean, God can do anything. Like, there's, that's the asterisk on anything you ever say. Like, God can do anything. Uh, I haven't seen that be super successful. So here are five 
things, uh, five ways to tell the better story better. Would you let me pray? Jesus, we're here because we want to do this. God, we want people to see you and know you because of the way we live and the way we talk. Lord, help us. God, we're simply asking for help. Would your spirit come that this wouldn't be a time where we walk away just with new skills, God, or new ideas or, or philosophy, but God, would your spirit be speaking to our hearts and would you be transforming? In the name of Jesus, amen. Um, I, I do, you know, in any time that you are speaking or, or uh, presenting or writing a paper, it's always good to cite your sources. I did this in the first week, but a lot of my thinking on evangelism comes from an amazing author named Sam Chan. Sam Chan writes about, uh, he has a great book called How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy. That's uh, is one of my favorite books on evangelism if you ever need uh, a recommendation. He has a longer one uh, called Evangelism in a Skeptical World, but he has some really great thoughts. And so rather than like, you know, quoting him on a ton, just know if you thought it was a really good idea that I'm sharing, there's a pretty good chance it's a, it's a formation of one of his thoughts. So he's, you know, he's just a brilliant, brilliant person. So five ways to tell the better story better. Number one, everybody say number one, merge your worlds, merge your worlds. A lot of times, when we think about evangelism, we, we as Americans especially, are you know, infatuated with the, the, the picture of the Lone Ranger, right? The shooting up the wild, wild west, I'm going out and I'm kicking butt, taking names, and we have this idea of evangelism is going to be the thing that I do, and so maybe it's a conversation I'm going to have with a coworker, or maybe you, you're feeling especially faith-filled, and you say, God, I want to be a light in the world, so I'm going to sign up for PTA. I'm going to join a softball league. I'm going to go, you know, take a class, and I'm going to be the person who brings the gospel to other people, because that's what I'm called to do. And that's, that's great, um, but it, it's not really the move that we see in Scripture, like, there's not times really in the book of Acts where the solo hero went and won the city. Even you go, well, no, 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 Paul, Peter. Like, they were always accompanied by other people. And so they were like, it's not like that Paul went out and just went solo. Peter didn't go solo. Uh, but like, when I say merge your worlds, this is what I mean. You, if you are like most people, you probably have uh, a bubble over here, and this is like your, your Christian world. Right? You have your Christian friends who do Christian things, and you talk about God, and you talk about you know, your walk with the Lord and stuff like this. And then you have your non-Christian world. So these might be coworkers or people that you, you know, shoot hoops with at the YMCA, who, you know, whoever. And so you have these two worlds. So a super simple thing that you can do is this. Merge your worlds. And so evangelism is a team sport. So this whole idea of the Lone Ranger, although it is, you know, infatuating and we would love to be the hero, uh, there are very few, actually zero times in the Christian story that we are the hero. Uh, Jesus is always the hero. And so, like, in the picture that we see in the New Testament, it's always a team. Jesus sends out uh, his disciples two by two in Matthew 10, 7. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirit. So he gives in this motif that we see in Matthew 10, he gives this, this impossible mission, 
right? He says, here's all the, you know, you're going to go sheep among wolves. You're going to go out, you know, this is a mission that you probably, you know, it couldn't go well. Like, this is a scary, you know, audacious thing, and he, and he doesn't go, so good luck. No, he sends them out two by two and gives them the authority to accomplish it. And here's, like, what it comes down to. It's a thing called plausibility structures. And a plausibility structure is the way that you decide something is true. So if I was to tell you the story that last night I was woken up by a unicorn who came into my room and the unicorn told me uh, that I was going to go be a prince in Algeria, that that was my destiny, uh, and also to uh, bet on these numbers on the lottery, to choose these numbers on the lottery because it's going to make me millions. And the unicorn flew away because that's a Pegasus. Whatever. The the unicorn trampled away and I I arose the next day. And I tell you this story. There's a few reasons why you don't believe me. There's a few reasons. So the way that we decide something is true comes down to really three things. One is what does the evidence say? What are the things that mark if this is true or not? Is there some sort of, uh, you know, uh, study, science, what what do I know that, that it would be true? The second is what's my experience with that thing? And so you probably, uh, from the get-go, you would say, well, there's really no evidence that unicorns exist in the first place, so I'm not really going to believe it. Not only is that, I've never had an experience with a unicorn, let alone a talking unicorn. But then the third thing is, what does your community believe about it? So you have, number one, what does the evidence say? Number two, uh, what is my experience with it? And number three, what does my community say? And you would think, we would all like to think that our most important thing is what the evidence says. That's how I decided it was true. But studies have actually shown the most important thing in the way that you decide if something is true or not is not what the evidence says and not even what your experience is, but what your community believes about it. And so the way you vote, the opinions you have on things, is most largely defined by the people around you and what they think. And so when you merge your universes, all you're doing is instead of just going to the movies with one group or one group saying, hey, what if we all went together? What you're doing is now, you're not the only Christian over in this bubble and saying, I'm going to take the gospel to my whole group of friends. No, you're inviting them into something a little bit bigger, where now their community becomes your community, and you're not the only bozo in the room that believes in God. It's no longer that you're one among many. They're in a community, and as you start talking about God, you're not the only person they know that's a Christian. You go, well, you know, I sort of thought you were crazy, but your friend's not crazy. And they're not crazy, and this thing might actually be true. And so with this idea of plausibility structures, you have a huge say in the way someone's making a decision when their community is largely Christian. It's the reason you go out two by two, because if I am going out, you know, and I'm feeling super faith-filled, and I'm just going to go to the campus, light it up for Jesus, you know, I'm taking my God test, purple book, and Bible, and my Holy Ghost power, and I'm going to do it. Like, totally possible, again, but when I do that, and it's me talking to another person, it's 50-50 on the people who believe in God in the conversation. But if it's me and my friends talking to somebody, then all of a sudden, most of the people in the conversation believe, about, believe in God. So it's a different set of things. So merge your universes. I told you, I'm not going to preach five sermons. That could be a whole one. Director's cut. So just, you get it. Invite your friends to stuff, you know, that your Christian friends are going to be there. Number two, go to their stuff. 
Number one, merge your worlds. Number two, go to their stuff. Now, I might step on some toes here. I love you. God loves you. This is, I have no one in mind when I say this, but have you ever been invited into like a multi-level marketing situation? Like anybody, like, and if you, and if you, like there are amazing God-loving multi-level marketers. I'm not talking about you, but I have gotten calls before from coworkers that I used to have or friends that I barely, you know, stay connected. And all of a sudden, they have an opportunity for me. And I can make passive income by, you know, just having, they, they have the amazing pitch for, for this is the small shift I can make in my life if I just go to their events. And it's amazing. And I'm like, dude, you haven't talked to me in years. Like, or I don't know you. Like, imagine if your neighbor that you've not talked about like, or not talked to knocks on your door, their hands are a little sweaty, they're nervous. Like, hey, I just, I just, my, um, uh, I really think you would like the, the Rotary Club and, meet, and meets and I'd, I'd like you to come to the Rotary Club with me. Um, they're having a special breakfast, really good breakfast. Would you come to the Rotary Club? It's like, what the heck? No. Like, no, but we do that, and we think it's like, okay, we're having an outreach at the church. Go invite the lost people. What are you going to do? Knock on their door and say, hey, I know we've literally never talked. We will avoid eye contact when we go into our garages. But my, my, my church is having this thing. I think you'll really like it. They're like, no. Like, so it's the same reason you listen in a conversation. When you're a part of their world and you go to their thing, then they're... Look at the people of God, ready to just step up and serve. Hallelujah. No, but you have, um, you have, like, you're not just going to invite people to random stuff, right? And so when you go to their stuff, you're creating an open door, and, you know, you are now the person who went to their thing. So when you say, hey, my church is doing this fall festival, you want to come? Sure, you came to my thing. Like, and so then you have the question, right, of, of, you know, how far is too far? What if their thing is shady? What if their thing is sketch? Like, obviously, don't, like, you know, uh, uh, make your conscience, you know, um, feel bad, right? You don't, you don't want to violate your conscience and, and say, like, pull you into sin. But on the, on the other hand, you have to, like, remember that Jesus was criticized often for over-associating with sinners. And so you go, wow, why would they go to that event? Why would they go to that, you know, wherever? And I'm not saying go sin. Like, obviously, there's this stuff that you just, if their thing is, you know, an example, if their thing is like drug dealing, just, did you like, and they're inviting, hey, you want to go deal drugs with me? Probably say not this time, man. Like, just to say, hey, have fun. You know, when you have Scrabble night, I'm in. You know, but like, you just, so follow your conscience, right? Follow Jesus. But when you show up to their stuff, it's not weird when you invite them to your stuff. It's always, throughout scripture, uh, Jesus is is going to sinners' homes and parties, and, and that's when ministry is happening in a significant way. And so when we merge our worlds, you get more invites to their stuff, go to it. So number one is merge your worlds. Number two, go to their stuff, Number three is follow the clues. I need to admit, 
And um, this is maybe just a confession. We're all growing in sanctification. um, But I recently found this like trash TV show that I actually am mildly addicted to. Um, Married at First Sight. Have you guys ever seen Married at First Sight? This is not an endorsement of that show. If anything, if you want to waste, you know, hours of your life, watch Married at First Sight. Um, so, So it's like, but the thing about it is it's good TV because, and when I say good TV, I mean like entertain, it's juicy, right? Because it's unnatural. Like you go through steps of dating and getting to know each other right before you get married. And so in the same way, we knock on the door with sweaty palms and invite somebody to the fall festival or, or whatever. Sometimes we go, I just, I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to preach the gospel. We've only talked about sports, but I'm going to go in today and say, hey, are you, you know, if you die today, are you going to heaven or hell? Like, that's weird. Don't do that. Like, it's, it's weird. Um, and so, like, we're not married at first sight people where we go from, you know, from strangers to, hey, you want to get married? You want to give your life to Jesus? I just, I met you. I feel like you should give your life to Jesus. Might work. I haven't seen it. But you have, you know, so it's like we're not married at first sight people. Like, so when you go to their stuff, when you, you know, have, you merge your universes, follow the clues because, like, it's the same idea that Christian went through last week. And if you want this more in depth, I really encourage you to go on YouTube and listen to his message. But if we could throw this graphic up, these are the layers of conversation. So there's interests. So that's what are you into? You like baseball, you know, whatever. Your values. And then you start to get into things, not just like what do you like or dislike, how do you, you know, uh, order your, your home, or, or, you know, the things that are uh, meaningful to you, which would be in the values, but your worldview. What do you think happens when we die? What's important to you? Like, these are questions that we feel like we can go from zero to 100 and just jump straight into the deep end, uh, but follow the clues. And this is a great um, little uh, uh, list of questions that's in this book, actually, how to talk about Jesus without being that guy. So these are what are called nudge questions. And so this, when you have a conversation, there's the lighthearted conversation of what did you do this weekend? And then there's maybe some more meaningful things of, you know, talking about your family, your kids, who are your kids growing up to be? And so, but these nudge questions help you get from one level of conversation into a deeper level of conversation uh, without saying, hey, you know, your your soul's probably going to go to hell if you died right now. That's weird. And so nudge questions are things like this. What are you looking for in life? What's important to you? What's one, absol- one thing you absolutely must have in life? You can read, um, you know, all those things. Obviously, I love this one. What is the best thing about being a Muslim? Or you could insert that with, you know, whatever religion they practice. Or this is one that I, I ask a lot. What, tell me about some traditions, festivals, or celebrations that are important to you. I have uh, neighbors who uh, celebrate, uh, they're, they're Hindu. And so I get to ask um, all the time, you know, hey, you have a bunch of people over celebrating something. Tell me about it. Like, what, what is it? Like, this is, you know, all, all these, uh, like, questions that I get to ask to show I'm interested. Like, because it's not a sin to ask about somebody's religion. It's meaningful for them, you know? So tell me about it. Like, what, what, is your, what does your outfit mean? You know, the asking questions like that, because as I express interest in them, I'm opening doors for them to say, hey, remind me what you do for work? Oh, I'm a pastor. 
I, you know, I work at a Christian church. It's in, in Brentwood. We have meaningful dialogue. It's not because I knock on the door with sweaty palms and say, hey, you want to come to at the movies? Like, it's because of meaningful dialogue. Follow the clues. And I will tell you, like, the secret sauce of evangelism is hospitality. So, you know, this idea of moving from this exterior circle of, you know, waving as you go into your garage to, you know, uh, meaningful conversations, I think that it's most effective when the landing place is your dining room table. Like when you get to a point, because when you get them into your home and you're serving them in some way, one, they get to experience life in a Christian home. Or maybe you just live with roommates. They get to experience life in a Christian atmosphere. Two, uh, they get to experience you loving somebody different than you. Because at this point, they're probably aware that you're aware that they're not a Christian. But still, I want to spend time with you. I want to cook for you. I want to, you know, sp- you know have uh, uh, my, my kids play with you maybe. Like all these things. You're saying, I just want to love you. I know you're different than me. I'm not here to have an altar call. Like this isn't, you know, we're not going to have the small talk and then we're going to pull out the, the special book. There's no candles and cloaks. And there's no, this isn't going to go weird, man. Like we're just talking. And so then you have, uh, then the third, I, I really think that they get to experience Jesus. Hospitality was big for Jesus. Most often he would, you know, like I, I think about in Z- Zacchaeus' situation, he doesn't say, hey, let's go have a small group. He says, no, I'm, I'm coming to your house. Let's have, let's have time together. Jesus, you know, his, really his first miracle was one of hospitality in some ways. He kept the party going. Like he said, I want to have a meaningful experience, you know, for these people. You have, uh, like hospitality is the secret sauce, I really believe. And then also what you do when you follow the clues is you become their unofficial chaplain. Where when they're around you because you've merged your worlds, when you're going to their stuff and when you're following the clues, then what you're doing is they're being exposed to your life as a Christian, and when they start having deep thoughts about God, they know you might have some answers. And then it's no longer you having to go with sweaty palms knocking on a door, but they go, man, I really, you know, a, a loved one died, and I don't know what's, you know, how to deal with this, but, but I, I've been hanging out with Bryson, I've been hanging out with Daniel, I've been hanging out with whoever, uh, and they seem to have some answers. I'm just going to ask them because they're my friend. They came to my thing. They invite me to their stuff. And so you create this relationship where you're friends and they know that you have answers to questions that they have. And so number three is follow the clues. Number four, this one's a quick one. Ditch Christian jargon. Ditch the Christian jargon. I know. I, I know. Hey, I know. I, I'm a Christian too. I say Christian words. You say Christian words. This, I mean, it's part of it, right? But you at your workplace probably have words and phrases that I don't understand. And there are probably things in my world or in anybody's world that, that their language unique to that situation, uh, you know, to that profession. If you were in, if you're not in healthcare or you're not in, uh, you know, if you're not a nurse or, or things like that, if you were in, you know, uh, the, the behind the scenes of the, the doctor's office or the ER or whatever, they're calling acronyms that you've never heard in your life. And they're saying, Jordan's like, yes, they are. I, if I went to work with her, she's a travel nurse, I would not understand most of what was going on, and I would pass out. Um, I, 
I don't do good in those situations. I would be on the floor. Uh, but they, you know, they'd be talking about all the, the MRIs and EKGs and the, you know, the 50 cc's of something I never heard of. Like all of these things, and your eyes are huge. Now imagine if that was somebody, you know, trying to like uh, tell you about Jesus. It's like, what? Like, or imagine if I had the most clear gospel presentation right now. None of you knew Jesus. I had the, the, the most amazing gospel presentation, but it was in Latin. Cool, man. He's like, but I'm up here, I'm sweating, and I'm, I'm preaching with everything I have, and it's like, it, it, there's just words that, that you know that don't always apply to somebody else's situation. So if I come up to you and, and you're not a Christian, I just say, hey, man, I've just been in my secret place this morning and just crying out to God because the pastor, he brought a word last night. He just, it was just a word. And so I got a word, like the, just the, the, the fire in my, my soul. And you just need to be washed by the blood. That's all. You need to be washed by the blood. Blood, you, washing, cross. Get it? No. Like you're telling, like imagine if you've never heard like all this stuff. You're telling me I need to be washed by blood? Are you serious? And so I say, I say in jest, obviously, like that I'm not saying, you know, that that stuff isn't valid or that, that it's, you know, that we shouldn't. Like it's the, the deep theological truth of, of the scriptures that like we, we need to, we've been ransomed. Like, but if you say, hey, I feel like you're lost and you need to be born again. And so when we have those sorts of words, we're actually creating a bigger gap than, you know, than inviting somebody in a lot of times. And so uh, we need to be aware of the words that we choose in these conversations, spiritual conversations, and it makes you have to rethink things that you've just gotten so comfortable saying. And you go, hey, you know, what are the things, and do an evaluation, what are the ways I could explain this different? Like, what if someone had never been to church? Because all throughout church history, uh, it's, it's a series of nations becoming missional senders, and then things shift, and all of a sudden, they're mission fields. And so America has been a, a huge missional like, center, sender, uh, for, for years and years, and we still send more missionaries and more money anywhere in the world, regardless of how things feel or, or, or whatever. Like We as Americans, not that we're amazing, but just God has done things here that are being exported all around the globe. But culturally... It's starting to transition from a Judeo-Christian worldview, you know, primarily a situation to, to more of a mission field. That's fine. Why? Because God's in control. I'm not like pro-backsliding. I'm not pro-decline of Christianity. But I'm saying, like, we need to be aware that we're not living in a, you know, Christian nation. That we actually have, you know, an opportunity now for God to use us, but if we come at it with an understanding or with an assumption that people are playing the same game, using the same language, we really create more uh, distance than, uh, than, than closeness. But uh, in Ephesians 2.13, it's by his blood that the far have been brought near. And so we have an opportunity to bring people near, and it's not gonna happen by us using a bunch of words that they don't know. And then the last tip, of the five ways to tell the better story better. Find your move. Find your move. You could go back and watch this entire series four or five times and hear 10,000 things you could do. 
And you go, man, if, if I'm supposed to, I listened to this series and then I went to the Engage training, like your head is spinning of, oh my gosh, I have to do this and I have to remember those five things and those three ways to do that one thing. And the sub point of that was this, to get to letter A of, of Z. Like it, you get, your head starts spinning, right? And you go, I, I thought, like, oh, I just thought evangelism was doing the God test. Like, this is, this is some, so, like, don't be overwhelmed by a bunch of stuff, but I think that when we look at a bunch of ways that evangelism can look, instead of it putting more weight, I hope it brings some freedom to say it doesn't just have to look this way. And so, when I say find your move, I mean prayerfully think about, God, how have you wired me to do this? Like, because I thoroughly believe that God created you for your family and your workplace. He didn't create me to work where you work, unless you work at Bethel. I work here. But he created you to be where you are, and he created you with the personality that you have. And I think we get in some really dangerous territory when we say to be an evangelist, you have to be an outgoing public speaker that can throw a wild party and gather a big crowd. That you, get, you, know, that you have the apologetics and the argument for every you know, situation. That you are the most knowledgeable Bible scholar. All these, when we make these archetypes of an evangelist, then we start to actually get more like discouragement and shame rather than the empowerment that I believe the Holy Spirit has for us. But I think, actually I know, that when God created you, it says in, in Ephesians that he did it. He cre- you're a new creation created in Christ Jesus with good works prepared for you. He planned what you have to do with you in mind. And so he created you wired, how you're wired, the way you think, the way you relate with people, the way you, the, the value system you have, the way that you interact, the way you talk, who you like to hang out with. He did that for a reason. And so the answer is not for you to go get better at the stuff you're bad at, but actually I think God wants to show you what you're good at and start doing that. Like, because... If, like, if we just feel like evangelism is going to the campus and blowing it up for Jesus and God testing, which I mean, I am 100% for. I'm like, when, yes, we should all do that. Even if we don't like doing it, do it. But if we only think it's that, but you have an amazing spiritual gift of hospitality and you can make people feel like that's a spiritual gift. Like evangelism is not a spiritual gift. Evangelism is an activity. There's an evangelist who's an office that talks about it in Ephesians. But there's a spiritual gift of hospitality. Like if you have that and you're saying, I got to lay that down so I can go, you know, walk around and talk to people, like let's reevaluate. It says there's, I love this book called Church Plantology, and here's a list of the forms of evangelism that, he, that Peyton Jones uh, talks about, and you can snap a picture of it, but it talks about it, it, different forms of evangelism in Scripture, not just good ideas, but in Scripture, testimony sharing, intellectual reasoning, confrontational uh, evangelism, serving, uh, in, like serving. If you're not like Mr. Big, you know, extrovert, let's go gather a crowd, maybe you're someone who's like, hey, I can serve you so good, you're going to wonder why. Like serving, interpersonal approach, like inviting, so that's inviting someone to something. Teaching, discovery, like to studying the, the, the Bible, the Bible study, uh, prayer, and the supernatural. Like, but you've probably... 
And you can, Ron, you can leave that up for a second. I think some people are taking um, some pictures. But, um, it, like, if you grew up with um, maybe a more, like, charismatic squad, you might have said, well, hey, we're going to go evangelize. Oh, cool. Like, how? Well, we're going to go pray for people to get healed and, and see God move. Like, that's sweet. Like, I'm, I'm all for it. Like, it's, that's cool. Is it the only way? No. Or, like, we're going to go evangelize. Okay, what are you going to do? We're going to go find some atheists, and we're going to go argue with them for a while. Hey, okay, like, sure, is it, is it my thing? No, like, but, and so, but when you say one thing is evangelism, you really start to, to negate a lot of other things, so find your move. The five uh, ways to tell the better story better, number one, merge your worlds. Number two, go to their stuff. Number three, follow the cues, the clues, sorry. Number four, ditch the Christian jargon. And number five, find your move. Because I really believe that the better story is worth sharing. And I don't like mean this to, to, to guilt anybody or to, to make you feel bad or anything, but I think that like if the, the better story that, that you believe isn't worth sharing, I think it might be time to reevaluate if you really believe what Jesus is offering. Because when we look at the radical grace that's expressed, just the, the just insane message of Jesus, that when we were incompatible, hopeless, in our ability to be made right with God, that any need, lack, or want in our life, that there's a a way for it to be satisfied, not for our personal satisfaction, but for our eternal satisfaction. That it was bridged by a God who didn't have to die for us, but he chose to. So I could have every, uh, every need met, not just physically, but spiritually, emotionally, mentally, that I can have a, a relationship with a divine creator. Then as we study the pages of scripture, not just as a textbook, but as this message from God to us, and we realize the scandalous story of the Bible, we start to realize that it's ridiculous that God chose to include us in this. But because he did, man, what better story is there to tell? Like, if I'm sitting there and my friend is really struggling because they lost their loved one, is it more helpful for me to give them the five tips to, to grieve better? Or to say, hey, I, I was really struggling, you know, when I lost somebody too. But the hope that I've received came because of the truth of this thing called Christianity, this person called Jesus. You know, is the move really, like in tough situations, and dark situations, like we, we can say, well, I, what's the answer? What's the answer? Is it the, I listened to this podcast that once said, or I read this book, or I heard this speaker say. It's like, no, but what if like the, the better story was so good that people wanted it to be true? Like, what if you didn't come at it with like this weak sort of like, well, I can convince you to, to love Jesus, but you said, man, like, Everything that you are wanting, everything your soul is desiring is actually a cry out for the thing that only the better story can offer. And so I really believe that the better story is worth sharing. 
And so I know that this, the, the, the goal of tonight is not to be inspirational and, and let's go, let's go change the world and, and man, we're, you know, we're having the night where we're all gonna, you know, like the last night of summer camp where you like write your sins and you throw it in the fire and the music's playing and you have like the, or you have all your Metallica CDs that you threw in the fire. This, I just know, multi-generational in the room. Like I know, I, I know. This isn't one of those nights. I hope it's a night that we can walk away saying, I think I can actually do this. I think I can actually just take a second and invite someone who doesn't know Jesus to an event that my friends who do know Jesus is going to be at. I think, I think, I think that I can be a little bit more attentive and follow the clues. I think, I, I think that I can actually say yes when they invite me to do stuff. And if that thing is on a Wednesday night, as whatever authority I have, like you're going to miss a Wednesday night to go to your friend's thing that you want to win to Jesus, permission granted. Like, do it. It's like, oh, sorry, I can't actually share Jesus because I'm going to hang out with all my other Christian friends. Like, you're okay. You miss a Wednesday night, it's all right. Follow the clues. Like, when we, when we strip ourselves with the jargon that actually separates us and when we find what God's put in us, I really think we can make a difference and I think that you can do it. Let me just pray and, and we'll just be concluded. Jesus, help us. God, we want to tell the better story better because this message of Jesus, the story of Christianity, of God becoming man and dying the death that we deserve, God, is ridiculous. And Lord, our response isn't fear, but it's boldness. Because by your spirit, not by our ability, it can happen. And we're believing right now for our lost coworkers, neighbors, loved ones, family members, community members to be transformed, not, not by our skill, but by your spirit. And we ask this humbly and we say, God, we'll do whatever it takes to make that happen. Not by our power, but by your empowerment. We love you in the name of Jesus, amen.